Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the very best of the debrief with your pals here at Sandals Church. Okay. I'm going to be, we're, we're not even really hosting this whole thing. No, I'm Justin Party. That's Stephanie. Stephanie. Yep, How's exactly. And uh, we're glad you guys are here. We are about to dip into some magic. We sure are. So we are taking a quick summer break here on the debrief. And yep. like your summer break, it's much shorter than we thought it was ah, going to be. Summer used so, to be so long when I, I was know. a small child. So for the whole next two weeks, <laughs> yeah. we'll be running um, some best of episodes, sharing some of our favorite moments from the debrief and some of the favorite moments that you, our listeners and viewers, have sent in. Speaking of favorite moments, Pastor Matt recently apologized to you. I was not in, in the studio. He I heard that in the car. And I wondered, what did he apologize for? I know, it sounded like a very like grave situation. Yeah, he sinned right? against you. Uh, Pastor Matt was apologizing for not making me his special popcorn while I was a roommate at their house for a while. And uh, But two. it hit him in his soul. Okay. Like, I just was making fun of him because he talked about his famous popcorn. I was like, you never made me that. And he's like, oh, no. And then I realized that that meant a lot to him. So we're going to make up for it sometime, probably when we get us all together to watch The Princess Bride, which we're fans here's, of. Here here's what I hear. Two, two things. When you hear, when I hear the phrase, Pastor Matt's special popcorn... <laughs> It just seems illegal. And number two, I feel like he sinned against me. If anyone he needs to make a special treat for, everybody knows. It's this guy. Anyway, that was the apology. Okay. Now you know. Now That's you all better. know. Yeah, there you go. So good, good to get that out. Good, good, good to clear that air. Great spiritual leader. Great popcorn maker. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. I gotta, I'm going to invite myself over. Okay. We'll report back future yeah, we'll let you know. on episodes. Best of. That's Part right. four. So for now, grab yourself some popcorn, make it however you see fit, <laughs> what a good and one. Uh, enjoy some of these favorite moments from the debrief. So Christy says, I grew up in the church always hearing Romans 8, 35 through 38, which says that nothing could ever separate us from God as believers. And then she says, my mom was a believer and served, leading women's Bible studies and volunteering. She was such a strong influence on me and such a picture of true faith. But after her divorce from my abusive stepfather, she fell away from the church because people in the church told her to pray for him and not to divorce him. My question is, once we become Christians, can we be separated from God if we ever fall away? Or are we forever tethered to him, even if we're living in sin without repentance? Yeah, so great question. And I'm sorry to hear about what your mom went through. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful that we don't equate works serving the church with a real relationship with God. There are very, very many people that do uh, acts of charity for all kinds of reasons. So it doesn't mean that a person is saved simply because they work hard at serving the church. Now, certainly I would argue that it's hard to say that you love Jesus if you never serve the church, but but evidence of work doesn't mean that there's evidence of salvation. So I don't know that your I don't know your mom personally. I don't know your situation. But I can say this, that the church is divided on this issue. Um, the church, some, some churches teach that you can fall away, so to speak, from your salvation, and others teach and preach uh, uh, once saved, always saved. And those are kind of the two core doctrines. And the reason that there's disagreement in the church is because really there's two trains of thought. So we have uh, the Pauline understanding, the Apostle Paul, and everything in his writing seems to indicate that you know, once we are saved, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and there's no going back. So where do people get this idea and understanding of that somehow that can change? It comes from Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. Hmm. In those two chapters, and we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, for the early part of the church, they thought it was Paul, but then later, pretty quickly, um, people realized that this is probably not Paul, and, and I'm not, I, I don't know who wrote it. So, But anyways, the author of Hebrews seems to clearly indicate that we um, can taste of the Holy Spirit, we can experience God, and can in some way slip away from that. And so this is what I would say is um, people who uh, feel totally secure in their relationship with God and um, never, ever worry about falling away from God. I think those are the people that worry, the people who are, um, you know, worried about it all the time. Those are the people that need to rest in their security. So what I, what I believe is the Bible teaches that we are secure. I don't worry about losing my salvation. I'm secure in Christ. I, I believe that. Um, 
And that's where I think Romans 8 says, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And that includes my own stupidity. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if your mom was saved, but I believe this, that if your mom truly was a child of God, she will remain a child of God forever. And I think that that is what scripture says. Now, however, I don't think we should be abusive and um, just consciously decide to just run from our faith and enter into a life of sin because the book of Hebrews indicates that it's impossible for a true child of God to live a life of sin, an unrepentant life of sin, because that is no longer who you are. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes, fall into sin, get caught up in it. But if you are a Christian and you get into sin, and I know this in my life because I get into sin, I fall into sin in actions and thoughts, you know, um, sometimes by not doing things and it grieves my heart. It hurts my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a, like a spiritual flu. It kills me because I am a child of God and I need to come back and repent and seek forgiveness and get right. People who don't have that, who don't have this, um, feeling of grieving the spirit of God within them, they probably weren't ever a child of God. So I can't speak to every, I think it's dangerous to speak to situations that we're not a part of. Uh, I'm sad that your mom, um, was in that kind of relationship and felt like she needed to get out. Uh, I don't know the church. I don't know the situation, so I don't want to badmouth them. Yeah. So I just need to stick to theological terms. The church is divided on the issue. I lean towards uh, the idea that when we are saved, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And it is not me holding on to God, but it is God holding on to me. However, there are good God-fearing Christians that disagree with me on this issue. And they do have theological um, reasons for holding that position. And I think they're born again Christians and I'm not here to demean them or put them down. I would count them as friends. So that's my answer. So I was driving golf cart shuttles around main campus this weekend with the crazy parking. And one of the ladies who jumped on the shuttle said, Hey, can you ask pastor Matt on the debrief though? You've talked a little bit the last couple of episodes about differing levels of judgment yes. that we might experience in hell. And she had just really never heard that before. Right. Um, and was wondering, what is the scriptural, biblical evidence for that kind of thinking? Right. Well, so there, there's a bunch of problems in modern Christianity. And one of the things is, you know, so much, so, so often our, our theology is a reaction to something. And so one, let's start where this whole idea of that all heaven is the same and all hell is the same. It comes from this feeling that all sin is the same. Mm -hmm. And so why do we do that? We, we do that to try to overemphasize, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, somebody on their soapbox down at Huntington Beach preaching, you know, if you've ever told a sin, you're just as guilty, you know, as if you murdered somebody. And, you know, I understand what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a case that every person's a sinner but comparing someone who's told a lie to someone who's killed somebody is stupid. It's absolutely, it makes no sense, you know, theologically, it makes no sense, uh, you know, I mean, in any kind of reasonable way. And that's why when you look at the Old Testament, there's differentiating punishments for different kinds of sin. So for example, if you get in a fight with somebody and it, it just turns in and you accidentally kill them, right, during the fight, a moment of rage, that's different than wait, you know, lying in wait, planning it out and killing somebody. Right. And so this whole idea of first degree murder, second degree murder, uh, you know, manslaughter, that's not a Western idea. That's a biblical idea. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that, look, there, there are differences even in the way we kill somebody. Yeah, in the end, someone's dead, but there's a difference between, you know, getting in a fight, killing someone in self-defense versus waiting for somebody in a parking lot and strangling them. And any Christian that says that those two things are the same thing is stupid. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason why the world doesn't listen to us is because we say stupid things. So this is what I would say. All sin is evil. It's all evil. It's right. all bad. It's like cancer, right? I mean, cancer, if left alone and left untreated, will kill you. Mm -hmm. But cancers, 
you know, differentiate in the way that they kill you and the speed with which they kill you. So we need to think about sin in the same way. And so, you know, there are differences in sins. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, I'm better than you. It's just to say that there, there are categorical differences. And that is clear in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is talking about how he will treat his servants when he returns. And there's three categories of servants that he will deal with. The first servant who he deals with the most harshly is the one who intentionally wounded the sheep. Now he's gonna, Luke's gonna tell us in the book of Acts that there will become wolves from amongst us. And so this is one of the reasons that so many people are turned off by church. They point to examples of, well, this pastor's all about money or this pastor, you know, is, you know, telling nobody to have sex, but he's having sex with all these people, you know, not his wife or, you know, or um, there was that case a couple years ago in Colorado where the pastor was totally against gay marriage. And then we found out, you know, he was having sex with, um, potentially with his uh, massage therapist that was a a man. And so they, they point out these hypocrisies and it's like, look, the Bible says that Jesus will deal with those people the harshest. So the harshest level of hell is not for the worst sinner. The harshest level of hell is for those who claim to be the best saint and yet abused God's family, God's sheep. And so he talks about this. And so listen to my words very carefully because some of you are gonna have a hard time with this, but this is what Jesus says. If the master returns and he finds one of his so-called servants abusing the sheep, manipulating the sheep, wounding the sheep, Jesus says he will tear that person to pieces. Rip, rip him apart, right? Mm-hmm. And throw him into hell with the unbelievers. That's where that person is going. It's the harshest level of punishment. The next person he talks about is the servant who knew what he was supposed to do, but did not do it. What does Jesus do to that person? In this story, that person is severely beaten. There's punishment. Now that's hard for us, right? Because we can't even you know, conceptualize spanking our children. Well, in the ancient world, beatings were a regular part of discipline. So in our world, right, we get all upset about that. And I'm not making a case for spanking or not spanking your kids. I'm just saying in the ancient world, it was not considered immoral to physically beat, um, you know, a servant. And so Jesus is saying, look, this servant who didn't do what they were supposed to do is going to receive a beating, a severe beating. That's the word, a severe beating. Then there's the other servant, right, who didn't really know what to do, but kind of knew it was wrong, but didn't have the information. And Jesus says he will receive a lighter beating. And so here's the understanding that, you know, not everyone's experience in hell will be identical. Some people are going to be torn to pieces. Some people are going to be beaten severely. Some people are going to have a light punishment. And what does Jesus say? To whom much is given, much will be required. Mm -hmm. And so judgment will be based upon your knowledge, upon your understanding, upon your upbringing, I mean, Christ is the fair judge and and that's who he is. And so this idea that all hell is the same is absolutely ridiculous. What I would say is this, is hell will be very personal to the sins that you've committed. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, you know, um, Adolf Hitler is going to have a very, very different experience in hell. And, um, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to be reasonable people. you know, I'm going to go way back. I think it's to the late 80s. There was uh, this serial killer. I think his last name was Bundy. Oh, and it was interesting. So Bundy, right right before he was um, sentenced to death, made this profession of faith, got saved mm-hmm. and, and, and was forgiven and wanted to be, you know, and so I, I think it was, um, oh, what's his name? The psychologist from Colorado. Uh, oh, James Dobson. James, Dr. James Dobson went and did an interview with him and talking about, oh, this guy's forgiven. And I'm like, this guy, see, we... This guy is manipulating this, and all the Christians wanted to talk about how great this was. And to me, 
and we'll talk about this later, if the guy was truly saved, he would, he would say, I deserve the death penalty. Mm-hmm. He, absolutely, right? Just like the thief on the cross who gets saved, what does he say? I deserve this. Yeah. I'm, I am here hanging on this cross for a reason. I believe that if, you know, Bundy was Ted, right? Yep. Ted Bundy, who truly was repented, he would say, I deserve to die, but he didn't, didn't do that. And we were all, we're all caught up in that. And I, and I think that that guy is a manipulative, psychotic person mm-hmm. and, and, and deserves a very, very personalized hell because of the way in which he killed people. It was terrible. He went around, right, acting like he was wounded, suckered women into trying to help him put his groceries into vans, and then he, he brutalized them, mur- murdered right. them, and raped them, and killed them, okay? He needs to have a very, very unique experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and I know that people are going to be upset by that, but John says that there are sins that lead unto death, and we should not pray for those people. There are some people, and that's why we this this passage is chapter thirteen is so difficult to understand and to navigate. But we need to understand there are severe consequences for severe sins. Everyone's a sinner. Every, we're all a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why I talked about in the Easter message. You know, the word sin means we miss the mark of moral perfection. But some people aren't shooting for the target. Some people are shooting other people, right. and that's very very different. And we need to deal with this, like especially as we deal with the threat of radical Islam. These people, in the name of God, going into supermarkets, what happened in Pakistan this weekend, mm-hmm. people are gathered together to worship the risen Christ, and some person attaches a backpack to their body with ball bearings in it and explosives, walks into a crowded area with women, children, right, and blows himself to smithereens, destroying these people. That is evil, the most abhorrent awful evil, right? He is hurting God's people in the name of God. Mm -hmm. That person will be torn to pieces on the day of judgment. Why? Because what they're doing is a horrific, awful evil. And that's the servant that Jesus is talking about, the one who does these things in his name. There's going to be some ugly, ugly judgment there for these people, you know, um, and we we need to be aware of that. And as Christians... I think we need to, we need to, um, we need to, not not glorify it, but we need to not be all upset that God's going to punish terribly people. Because if God doesn't uniquely punish those people, then God is not love. He's not. You know, if somebody does something horrifically horrible to my family, it is not love to not punish them. It's not. So there needs to be. There needs to be justice for crimes committed. Um, and so, you know, and that's why we can talk about, you know, we can get into social issues like the death penalty, but that's why, I, you know, I think that as Christians that lose their minds because, you know, the government shouldn't kill people, I, they're not reading scripture. Hmm. They're, they're, they're just not reading what the Bible says. And so, you know, the government has a responsibility to exact punishment on, in severe, horrific cases. And to do so makes them unjust. And so this idea that love doesn't punish doesn't understand love. Mm. It just doesn't. Um, and so, so I know that's, that's a huge question or, or a huge struggle for, for those listening. But listen, not everyone's experience in hell will be the same, and not everyone's experience in heaven will be the same. So in heaven, you know, on the day of judgment, when God tests our faithfulness, we will go through fire. And the fire will test and see what what is pure in our lives. The Bible says that God will hand off rewards, and He will bless those who have been faithful. And um, 
you know, we're all going to go to heaven, but we're going to have different experiences in heaven. And so this idea of utopia and it's all equal, Mm -hmm. that is not a biblical concept. It is not. And so just like people in hell will be judged and right, everyone will say it is righteous. The same thing will happen when God hands out rewards. You know, it will be righteous. I mean, who am I to be jealous of what the apostle Paul has given on the day of judgment? Because I mean, you know, that whole list he gives of all the things that happened to his life, you know, beaten multiple times, left for dead, shipwrecked, you know, tortured, maimed, lost all of his possessions, right? So his heaven experience is to be the same of mine. I live in an air-conditioned house and I preach the gospel in a church where I have freedom of religion, right? I mean, come Mm. on. I'm not going to receive the same blessings as the apostle Paul, and I shouldn't, and I should be okay with that. And on that day, I will rejoice you know, in what Paul receives, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here and neither would you. None of us will experience heaven if it would not have been for the torture that Paul went through. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Question number three, does Sandals Church accept homosexuality? Wow. You guys are really throwing them at me today. <laughs> We're not holding back. No, you're not. So man, that's a great question. And so really I have two audiences for this. Those who um, would consider themselves gay or as the language we use at Sandals Church, same-sex attracted. And those who are just curious, you know, is Sandals a conservative church or has Sandals moved more in line with liberal uh, media and really the culture of America as it moves closer and closer to just full acceptance and embracing of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So let me say this, that there, there's really two... Uh, audience members that I'm going to be answering to. And so let me just say this, first of all, you know, for the Christians who attend our church, Sandals Church is a conservative church. Uh, We may look very, very liberal in the terms of the music we play, the way that I preach, the way that we communicate, our our facilities, our buildings, but we're, we're conservative in our theology. And so what that means is we're not changing in the way that the world is changing. However, I think that the way that we answer this question needs to be radically different in the way that it's been answered in the past. And so, you know, are we open to gay people being in our, our church? Absolutely. Just like we're okay with, you know, anybody who is struggling with any sin. And, and here's the way I want to kind of wrap this answer is Jesus says this. Um, I'm reading out of Matthew 13, 44. And through 45, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get the money to buy that field. And then he says this again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. And so this is the way that I would phrase this to a, a person who is gay. I think that it's unfair that we draw hard lines in the sand as they are coming to meet Jesus, know Jesus and experience Jesus. I don't think we do that with anybody else. Yeah. And we should not do that, that to our, uh, the gay members of our community. I think that the first thing Jesus says is he says, come and see. So what does a gay person want? A gay person wants what a heterosexual person wants, love and relationship. And so if we're saying before they've experienced the treasure, before they found the pearl of great price, hey, I want you to say no to your deepest desires of your heart, which is you know, a loving um, sexual relationship, which is what most people want. Most people want to experience that. And so if we say at the outset, on the very beginning, that you have to say no to the greatest desire of your heart before they've found the pearl, before they've discovered the treasure hidden in the field, it's offensive. It's not offensive when they discover that the relationship that they want more than anything in the world is the pearl that is Jesus, Mm -hmm. that is the treasure hidden in the field. At that point, we can now have a discussion about selling everything that you have and saying no to your deepest desires because now it makes sense, right? You don't sell everything you have 
with the hope that there's a treasure in a field. You don't sell everything that you have with the hope that there's a pearl. You make those decisions because you've discovered something and you found something. And so this is what I would say to a person who's struggling with homosexuality. Come and see, come and check Jesus out. Understand this, that God is looking for a personal relationship with you, just like he is if you're straight. Straight people have to come to the same decision. God is looking for an intimate relationship with me and all intimate relationships have sexual boundaries. Even in the context of um, marriage, right? A sexually active relationship, there are boundaries. Like, um, you know, Kelly, our sound guy, you and I have a sexual boundary. What is it? We don't have sex. Stephanie, you and I have a sexual boundary. We don't have sex. My wife and I have sexual boundaries. You're like, well, wait a minute. You have sex. Yeah, we have sex with each other and no one else. All intimate relationships have sexual boundaries boundaries. And if you don't have boundaries within your sexual relationship, you are not involved in a, or in a real relationship of any consequence. I mean, you may call it that, you may define it as that. It's not a relationship. That's why everybody kind of subconsciously knows whether they're moral or not, they know that cheating is wrong. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, if you're an atheist and you're in a relationship, cheating on that person, going outside that relationship, we all intrinsically know that's, we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, why is that? Because we know that true intimacy has boundaries. What is God interested in with us? Intimacy. So for the heterosexual, Jesus or Paul says in Corinthians, can you have sex with a prostitute and unite Jesus with that prostitute? No, you can't mm-hmm. because God is not going to be a part of that. And so you are divorcing yourself from the intention intimate relationship that God has for you. So as a heterosexual Christian, I restrain and abstain from sexual relationships outside the monogamous, lifelong committed relationship with my spouse of the opposite sex. That's what God has called me to do. Uh, For the homosexual person, they too are going to have to come to that point where they decide what are their two options as a Christian, according to the boundaries that God has set. One is to live a celibate life, Mm -hmm. which you know, many people do, and and there's great joy in that and, and, and all kinds of love. And, you know, we really need to realize as a church how much we need to be there for our gay brothers and sisters because they're saying no to many things. So we need to be saying yes to as many aspects of uh, intimacy that we can biblically provide, which not just with gay people, but with single people. Um, you know, you've been single. I mean, how long have I known you? Um, probably less like five, six years. Five, six years. You know, mm-hmm. I'm always trying to make sure you're taken mm-hmm. care of, that you're okay. I'm thinking about you all the time because you're my single sister in Christ. And so mm-hmm. I've been, you know, looking out after you, watching over you, being careful for you, because I know that you have chosen a biblical path to abstain from sex until you get married. And I've tried to encourage you and cheer you on in that. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to be there for those people. Here's what I'd say if you're gay, God doesn't hate you, he loves you. Absolutely adores you and love you. And I understand, um, you know, Nobody really knows, you know, how we become gay. People say, well, I was born this way, or, you know, the other side says that you were um, created through social environments to be this way. Some people are just rude and say it was a choice and you can unchoose that choice. And here's what I'd say. Sexuality is complex. We all need to be honest. It's complex, okay? I don't know how I turned out not gay. I have no idea how that happened. I think that's the normative uh, pattern for most people. Most people are not born same-sex attracted. However, that's changing in our society as sexual norms are changing. You know, people are op- open to experimentation. So here's what I would say is, whether you're born that way or through socialization, you were influenced to be that way, either way, at one point you're going to have a choice, just like the person who found the treasure buried in the field. They now know that what's in the field is worth more than everything they have, all that they have. And so they're gonna sell all of that 
to buy the field. And for the gay person, here's what I would say is pursue Jesus. And if you fall in love with him, the way that he loves you, right? How does Jesus love you? He gave up everything for you. Said no to every desire he had as a human being in his life. He has done that for you. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he's pursued you. Whether you're gay or straight, that's how he pursued you. Mm -hmm. If you fall in love with Jesus, the treasure in that field, I believe you're going to want to say yes to Jesus and say no to your other passions and desires. Why? Because they are nothing in comparison to what you've found. Mm -hmm. And I have two friends, uh, you've met them, uh, Ed and Tom, that I love with my whole heart. Um, You know, they were gay and together for 20 years, they found Jesus. And that radically altered their life, radically altered their life. And they came to each other and said, we feel like we can't have sex anymore. I mean, for dudes, right? right? That might be a little easier for girls, for dudes. That's a, that's, that's a big decision. Mm-hmm. Well, why did they do that? They found a new treasure. Hmm. They found a new desire. And so they were willing to exchange pearls. And um, so here's what I would say. Sandals Church is a church that is open for all to come and see. At some point, true love demands everything. Mm-hmm. And there's going to come a point in your life where you hear these words from Jesus. Now it's time to come and die. That's what Jesus says. If any man wants to save his soul, he must lose it for my sake. Luke nine twenty three that we've been talking about all this last year. If any man or woman would come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. So why would Jesus ask that? because that's what he did for you. He denied himself for you. And he's asking for that same level of love for you, for him. And so um, I realize if you're a gay person, this is a lot to ask. And um, I love gay people in our church. I, I am overwhelmed with their commitment to Jesus. But to them, all it is is they found a field with a different treasure. And so what most of us grow up thinking is the greatest level of love we can ever experience, which is a sexually... Uh, intimate relationship with another human being, what they found is something that's more powerful than that, a greater desire. Um, It's why Jesus abstained from sexuality on earth. He did not participate in sex. I'm gonna guess there were some women and men that found him attractive, powerful leader, Mm -hmm. influential leader. Um, You know, people followed him and it's normally normal to be attracted to a person of authority and just, I mean, he's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, oh my gosh. So, but Jesus abstained from that because his ultimate goal was to connect us with God. His pursuit was every one of us in a non-sexual way, but our relationship with God has sexual boundaries. So I hope to write a book on that, um, you know, at another time that I think we'll, we'll go in depth. But like we talked earlier on the show today, um, we worship a relational God who wants to be in relationship with us and all relationships with your husband, with your wife, with your friends, with your kids, all of them have sexual boundaries. And people who don't recognize that, there's something deeply broken inside them, right? Mm -hmm. There's something broken. And so God wants us to understand um, that sex is a gift that ultimately points us to the love, power, and passion of God, but it is not the love and power that we're to pursue. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. So again, if you're gay, come and see And this is what I would say is we're open to all people. We are not affirming of the gay lifestyle. And what I mean by that is, is we have gay people in our church. um, Some of them, uh, you know, participate in gay sex 
you know, and I don't run around, I'm not the sex police. I don't run around following people, what they do on their own time, whether you're gay or straight, that's your own business. When we find out about that, we deal with that as a church because we believe that sexual sin affects us and our relationship with God in a peculiar way. It is different from other sins, which is why I keep telling you guys, Mm -hmm. not all sex is the same. Sex affects us and our relationship with God, sexual sin, excuse me, affects us and our relationship with God in a unique way. It has peculiar power in us and over us. And so we all need to be aware of that. And so um, we're open to all people with all kinds of struggles. At some point, gay or straight, you have to make a decision to die to your sexual desires for God. And the only way I believe that's gonna happen is when you fall desperately in love with Jesus and he becomes the most important thing in your life. And when that happens, it's not that hard. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a choice. But first, people need to discover the treasure in the field. That, that, that's the way that I think it should be communicated. That's the way it should be articulated. And by the way, it's the same way with wealth. Why do my wife and I give so much of our money to the kingdom of God? Because we believe we found a treasure that's worth investing in. And it's more important to me than houses and cars and stuff and things. God's the most important thing. And so we've invested everything in our lives to build this church, to build God's kingdom, because we believe he's the most important thing. Um, you know, and, and Sandals Church is, is an incredible organization. It generates millions of dollars. I don't keep that for myself. Why? Because the treasure is Jesus. And so we take all the, the money and the revenue that Sandals brings in through people's, you know, generosity, and we pour that back into the community and back into the church and back into people so they can find the pearl. Not so I can build a vacation home, so they can find the pearl. And so we need to articulate it in that way. So we're open to all people, but at some point, when Jesus has invited you to come see and you've seen who he is and you've seen what he is, he's then going to invite you to die to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's whether you have same-sex attraction, it's whether you're straight, it's whether you're greedy, jealous, envious, prideful, or fearful, whatever your core struggle is, um, at some point you're gonna have to die to that and live for Jesus, that's the call. This is from Adam on Facebook, and I'll just be honest with you, it's a, it's a heavy one. On episode 44, Adam says, you mentioned that trials prove your faith is real or they prove that it is false. What does that mean for someone who commits suicide? A friend of mine committed suicide on Wednesday, and I've been struggling with this and wrestling with it. The Bible says that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against God, and is that what someone is doing when they commit suicide? I may just be wrestling with this because she was close to me, she served in ministry, talked several of our high school students out of committing suicide, and was just an amazing influence to those around her. I know God judges the heart, and we don't, but the Bible says that we will recognize people by their fruit, and that those who abide in God bear much fruit, Mm. and that's what I saw from her. I guess some clarity and some real discussion on what happens when someone commits suicide and real Christ- and if real Christians can commit suicide would help me. Don't hold back if it's not what I want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. What was his name? Adam. Adam, man, thank you for the great, great question. Um, I appreciate uh, that. So here's, here's where, you know, on the one hand, I've affirmed Catholics and been very, very thankful and grateful for much of their theology. And let me just say this. Much of Protestant theology, what does that mean? Protesters, the Catholic priests that protested, uh, which is where Sandals Church comes from, we're a Protestant church. Um, And that doesn't make sense to a lot of our new listeners, and that's fine. Christianity is a 2,000-year religion. Uh, Just like in Muslims, there's Shia uh, and uh, Sunni Muslims, you know, the traditional differences in Christianity, the traditional differences really are Orthodox, Catholic, and then Protestant. Um, We are called protesters because 
we're against some of the uh, sinful uh, nature of the of the Catholic right. uh, Church a couple hundred years ago. The Catholic Church has changed a lot of things. They've come a long way, but it was really ugly for a while. The problem with building a theology based upon protesting is it builds a theology of being against. Mm-hmm. And so what that ultimately turns into is, well, they're this, so we have to be that. Mm-hmm. And, and our theology becomes reactionary rather than asking, are they right? So the Catholics, I think, uh, were right on the, on the differentiation between sin. Here's where I don't agree with Catholics. So Catholics believe, uh, and, and not all, I've heard uh, differences from different priests. I'm not sure of the official teaching of the Catholic Church. I can tell you what Catholics believe, most of them, is this, that if you commit suicide, it's an unforgivable sin and you're going to hell. So where does that come from? It comes from 1 John 5, 16. If you see a Christian or brother sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying that you should pray for those who commit it. Uh, all wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. And again, Laura, that's another great verse to look back at the differentiations between sin. And so it is a literal interpretation of what John is saying here. And so the assumption here is that the sin that leads to death is clearly suicide, which makes sense, right? Because when you kill yourself, what does that lead to? Death. Death, right. Thank you. Stephanie's the sharp one. Justin <laughs> didn't understand what happens when you kill yourself. Yeah, it yep, kills you. That's what it means. Okay. And so the assumption here is that that person dies um, in sin and so may not may not have died in a state of grace. And so uh, we believe as Protestants as at Sandals that you, we live in a state of grace. And so here's what I would say, Adam, is, you know, suicide is bad. So there's two sides of it. I've been to uh, funerals where uh, I think pastors have done a wonderful job uh, preaching uh, over a person who's committed suicide. And I've been, I've been at funerals where they've done a terrible job. And so what's a terrible job when you go to funerals and they act like nothing's wrong, nothing terrible happened. This person's in a better place. I think it sends a horrible message. And the message it sends is that suicide is an appropriate action for people who feel desperate. Mm -hmm. We should never, ever communicate that suicide is a sin. I would no more recommend suicide to a person who is uh, exhausted emotionally or, or depressed or uh, overwhelming anxiety than I would heroin. Okay, right? They're bad things. Don't pursue that. It's going to destroy your life and, and kill you with suicide if you're successful. Um, so here's what I would say. Suicide's bad, bad, bad. It's wrong, 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 wrong. I do not see in the Bible that it is evidence of the unforgivable sin, and I do not equate it with blasphemy. It is a sin that leads unto death. It is something that is egregious, difficult, brutal for those of us as Christians um, to deal with a brother or sister in Christ who has committed suicide. However, let me say this, mental illness is a real thing. It's a real thing. Uh, It's not just a real thing for people who struggle with mental illness. I've seen people who've gotten cancer and towards the end of their life, as the cancer goes to their brain, they don't think clearly, they don't act clearly, they make all kinds of rash, irrational decisions, um, you know, and so we, we need to understand that. Uh, there's a big movement in America today to grant people, um, you know, the right to take their own life right. when they have a terminal disease. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm opposed to that. Totally, uh, I'm not against you know comforting people and trying to help people and ease the level of suffering and help them pass more quickly as the natural process takes place. But you know, I don't think that we should assist people in the area of suicide. I think that's that's really placing the hand of God. We need to help them as God. Uh, counts the hours and the days of that, but we want to make it as least suffering as possible. So uh, suicide is a bad thing. Uh, It's an ugly thing. It's a sinful thing, but there's no evidence in scripture to suggest that your friend is not in heaven. Uh, And just know this, Christians can get depressed. Christians can get overwhelmed. Christians can get into a place where they're just not thinking correctly. And I believe that God's grace is able 
to forgive them. But here's, here's, here's what I would say is I don't know if that person's in heaven or hell. Now, I know it's easier to say that that person's in heaven to comfort the family, but I don't know that. Right. I mean, I, I just don't know. And here's what I would say, and this is what I tell people when I don't know, is your loved one is standing before a righteous and good God. And whatever decision he renders, and by the way, that's Jesus has the authority to render that decision, will be just, and everyone for all time will say amen. Mm-hmm. We will all agree. Because Christ will judge, right? His name is Prince of Peace, uh, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God. That's who, that's who we're waiting for, is we're waiting for the one with pure and righteous judgment. And so instead of worrying about your friend, tr- place your trust in Jesus, put your focus on Jesus and trust Jesus. And that's what I do in those situations because we don't know. We don't know that scripture is not clear. Um, and suicide is one of those ends to life that is a just a difficult thing to navigate it. And we wanna make sure that we don't commit uh, heresy to try to comfort people. Mm-hmm. And it's a real challenge. Yeah. It's a real, real challenge. And um, I, I think that there's no guarantee that their loved one is in hell and, and there's no guarantee that their loved one is in heaven. And so we just have to say, look, we have to trust this person who is struggling mightily um, with God and with Jesus. And, and at the end, right, what other option do we have? Mm-hmm. He's God, we're not. We don't get to say who's in and who's out. So thank you, Adam. That's a great question. I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend. Um, I just really appreciate uh, your genuineness and uh, hope that my answer helped. Totally. All right. Speaking of cheese and cigarettes, this last question comes in from Becky. Thank you, Becky. Enjoy the cheese and put down the cigarette. (laughs) Put them down. So she says, where should we be drawing a line when it comes to things like drugs and alcohol? Some Christians are fine with drinking alcohol or smoking marijuana, and some think both or either are sinful. Where is there a line to be drawn when dealing with both of these things? Dealing, by the way. Dealing. With both of these things. Let's not miss that. Yeah. So, okay. Here's the thing. So I I am uh, okay with alcohol. I am not okay with marijuana, and here's why. Or any drug that automatically intoxicates you. Hmm. You know, like you can't say I smoke a little crack, I shoot a little heroin, like, right? It's a bad country song. Noted. Yeah. So um, I can enjoy a glass of wine. Um, I I don't don't drink hard hard liquor. I just don't uh, because I love myself. You know, like I was at a party and everybody's drinking bourbon and I took a sip and they're like, you don't like it? I said, no, I love myself. That's why I I think bourbon is for people who hate themselves. That's what I think, (laughs) right? Seriously, man. Just drink gasoline. Just just put gasoline in your throat and yep. it's the same yep. thing. So um so here here's the thing is is when I begin to feel the effects of wine and I drink wine, I stop drinking. I do. Because I want my wits with me. Um I, I want to not be an idiot mm. and you know, I want to let my family be safe. Um so so I, I can do that. I can enjoy wine and and have the effects of it relaxing me. The thing with marijuana is, right? it fades you, whatever word that you want. It has, marijuana is a mind altering drug. So everybody's, everybody's trying to say, well, it's the least of all. Okay, yeah, yes, but it affects your brain. Like it's literally hijacking your brain. And so a lot of people in our church smoke marijuana because they have anxiety. Why not deal with your anxiety? The Bible says, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. So here's the thing, quit numbing your pain and your fear, deal with it. Deal with it, and you know you you might might need to be on some some Xanax or something for a while, but you know again this series beyond happy we're going to deal with this. You've got to deal with your issues, yeah. and, and the reason you know many people are drug addicts and alcoholics it's because they can't deal with the stress of life. You know, read uh, 
what what's the uh, the famous AA prayer? Help me to forget the things. Oh, not forget, uh, forgive. Accept the things that I can't, can't change, change. Change things I can. Yeah. So that's a, a prayer written by I think his name was Reinhold Niebuhr, and actually the entire prayer is beautiful. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. And what he talks about in the prayer is to accept life as it is, and to try to have as much happiness in a broken world as possible. And and that's and that's the prayer. And so part of the the reason that you know people have to be drunk and stoned all the time is because they think that you should. You, you, that life should be this perpetual, continual, external happiness, this feeling of mm-hmm. joy. And so what we're going to talk about in my sermon series is, is the word, think about the word emotion. What's the second word in that word? Motion. Motion. It changes, right? And so mm-hmm. everybody wants it to be summer all the time. Nobody wants to experience fall. Nobody wants to experience winter. And if you don't have those things, you don't get spring. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening in when people have to have fun all the time and they can't embrace the difficulties of winter and the hardships, we don't learn how to cope and we struggle. And that's one of the things you got to learn with your kids. You got to teach your kids how to struggle. Let them embrace the struggle because adulthood is hard. Um, My daughter was in mountain biking in high school and she wanted to quit. And I said, no, you're going to, you're going to work through it. And she said, why? And you know, there's different parental philosophies on what you got to do. And she said, why do you want me to stay in it? She said, I hate it. It's hard. I said, life will be hard and you will hate some things, but you got to get through it. Mm. And so I made her stay in it. I let her quit the second year. But the first year, you know, you, you got to do it. Because I said, I want to prepare you for life. Yeah. Life is not easy. And I think that's the thing that, you know, as Americans, we just don't get. Like we all think, you know, everybody should have a car, have a house, have free health care. It, it should all be free. Well, somebody's got to work for that. Somebody's got to do that. Somebody's got to pay for that. And, and we got a generation that just thinks, no, I, I should get it all because life, nothing should ever require work. Yeah. Well, the only reason we have a country is because people died to build this thing, died yeah. horrific, awful deaths. You know, like you, you left St. Louis to come to California. You were married to a different woman and had three new kids. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. Life was there. You yeah. ate people in Northern California, the Donner part, they ate each other. I mean, that's what built this country. And, you know, I think we focus on the sins of America, but we don't focus enough on the struggle. Mm-hmm. It was really, really hard and really, really difficult. Um, you know, the average person in the West died at 32. Yeah. Think about that. How old are you? Uh, 31. Yeah, Almost you're dead I'm next thinking year. about that. You're dead next Enjoy year. Enjoy your last yeah. year. Yeah. And what are you? 29. 29, yeah, you got like a couple years left, yeah. right? So so the, the world was difficult. So um, so here, here's what I would say is, I, I some churches are absolutely no alcohol. Um, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist, you know, they, they they don't believe in that at all. Okay, that's fine. They're wrong. Jesus created wine. Jesus hey. did not smoke pot. Nope. He did not smoke pot. He, he did produce wine. Um, the Lord's Supper was wine. People that say it wasn't wine are literally smoking something and it ain't Jesus. So, nope. Jesus. Um, so I think it's important. And part of the problem is one of the things that's such a turnoff to Christianity is if, if, if we can't have any fun, why would they, why would they want to follow Jesus? You know, and so many religious people, their lives are just like, mm. you know, so I think we need to learn to have fun. Marijuana is a different beast um, I think it affects, you know, at, at Sandals, you, you can drink if you smoke pot and I find out about it uh, with some exceptions. For example, if you're dying from cancer, you have some horrific disease. Yeah, you know, I'm for medical marijuana, absolutely. But because, you know, you, you, you're stressed out because you work at Best Buy. <laughs> okay, no, sorry, buddy. I don't, I don't think that works in somebody right now. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry, Best Buy. Get off the wheat, you know? Um, so, so that's what I would say. And, you know, and some Christians say it's okay. What Christians? 
you know, what, what, what major pastor or teacher has come out and said, I'm pro pot, you know, I, 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 I don't know about them Mm-mm. because it affects your mind and God wants you to use your mind. And just know this, the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia, which is where we get our English word pharmacy. So what is witchcraft rooted in? It is rooted in an experiential spirituality that occurs through drugs. Mm. That's witchcraft. Yeah. We don't connect with God through drugs. We connect with God through Jesus. And that's what we need to do. And so we need to be able to step up and stand up. And so, you know, um, when I've had anxiety and I'm a person that struggles with anxiety, I'm a person that, you know, I can be up and down. I can be a little manic. Um, you know, people are always like, how are you, how come you're so funny? You know, when you're on stage, it's because you didn't see me crying the hour before when I was in the back. Yeah, that's my personality. You know, I'm up and I'm down. That's that's who I am. That's how God made me. And I got to embrace that. So what I have to do is I have to, to, in order to experience the joy of life, I have to embrace the pain of life. You you have to. Um, that was good. And you guys hey. missed it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, Go ahead. Sorry, so, I was just taking it in. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. I just... What do you call this? I, the tweet a bell. I just tweet a belled myself. I think that's okay. You did yeah. So okay, yeah. so yes, there are a lot. There are a lot of there are a lot of people at Sandals that smoke weed. There's a lot of people at Sandals that do a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't mean I agree with it. it doesn't mean they're right. Um, you know, and I I just think you are you are better off not going through life faded. Yeah. What? Change your life. If your life is so bad, change it. The next verse that recounts Jesus's death says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Was Jesus's physical death inevitable because of the crucifixion, or did he have to actually let himself die? I believe he had to let himself die. He had to surrender. So we have to go to Philippians chapter 2, where it says he humbled himself even to the point of death. Christ has power to the very end to not die. Mm-hmm. Right? How do we know this? Because he tells dead people to come forth. Yeah. He has the power of life in him. So he must relinquish this power. He must lay it down. And he tells Pilate this, no one takes my life, but I, the son of man lays it down freely. So he gives up his life. So the flogging, the crucifixion, all of those things are affecting the physical body of Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus must give up his spirit. He must choose death. It cannot be chosen for him. He has to lay it down. Because in this moment, he, right, he can do a miracle. I mean, think about what everybody says. He saved others. Let's see if he can save himself. They all acknowledge that he has powers to heal. I mean, you know, you think about like, um, uh, you know, all the superhero powers and, and like yeah. Wolverine, right, has that self-healing power. Yeah. Jesus had that. Mm-hmm. That's a biblical idea. He, he can heal others. He has that ability in himself, but he chose not to use it. And he died mm-hmm. and he gave up his spirit. And he says, God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. What is he saying? This is all God's plan to kill Jesus, to save me, to kill Jesus, to save you, to kill Jesus, to save us. And it's a beautiful plan. Yeah. Cause I don't think I'd realized until now, like Jesus wasn't killed by people, right. like that Jesus died for us, like that it was an intentional decision to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize that until just This now. whole process, he is su- submitting himself to physical torture. He's submitting himself to a kangaroo court. He's submitting himself to beating, flogging. He's submitting himself. I mean, Jesus is allowing the blood to flow from his body. He has authority, hmm. right? The devil says, what does the devil say? Jump off, jump off this bridge and say a word and God will send 10,000 angels to save you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
you know, I, I just can't imagine what the angels in heaven must have been doing at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you think about that angel that God sends in Revelation to imprison Satan. That's a bad <laughs> yes. ASS angel. Because <laughs> yeah. you know what Revelation says? He does it by himself. That's crazy. He throws Satan down and he chains him. God has got some serious bros. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, God has warriors that we have no idea how powerful they are. And those angels are weeping mm-hmm. and they're weeping mm-hmm. and only, only the love of God can hold them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember Dex talking about that when he was preparing for Good Friday and he was talking about this, like the, what he was imagining the moment to be like, as God was watching his son die on the cross and having to hold back all of heaven's armies from rushing forth. Yeah. To... And we see these angels released in Revelation mm-hmm. and they're, they're rough. Yeah. It's like all of that. Yeah, it's pent up. You know, yeah. it's like we've been waiting. Well, hey, everybody, that was the very best of the debrief. Part one, part, part one. one. Yeah. So there's more that was goodness half coming. Of the very best of the debrief. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So if you loved that, and if you've left us a review in iTunes, we are running a contest right now for all of our favorite five star reviews in iTunes. Actually, I guess we're probably not going to do winners based on what level your review is, but. We know it's five stars. Yeah. We should limit them only to five. I think that's fair enough. Okay. You got to go all the way if we're going to hook you up with a prize. If you have constructive critique, that's great, but no prizes. Yeah, but not an iTunes friend. Send (laughs) that to us in a question so that no one else sees it. Debrief at sandalsearch.com. That's right. Anyway, we would love to get those reviews on iTunes. We are running a contest all summer long. So if you want to know if you've won, make sure you are following us on social media, Instagram at The Debrief Show or on Facebook at The Debrief Show as well. You can find out there who's won. And the very last thing is if you want to continue supporting The Debrief, we are so grateful for those of you guys who do that. You can do so by texting Give Debrief. That's two words, Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. It doesn't hit your phone bill, anything like that. It just says, hey, you want to throw a couple bucks to support the debrief and uh you'll say yeah of course i want to do that why not that's why i texted you so (laughs) exactly exactly all right see you guys in the future for more very best of the debrief everybody hey